Blog Talk Radio. Radio. A lot going on tonight. The first football scrimmage is in the books. There's changes being made on the men's basketball and women's basketball assistant coaching staff. The softball team is doing much better than the baseball team and gymnastics rolls on to nationals. Welcome again to BAMS Radio. I'm your co-host Kerry Clark of BAMAMag.com. Joined as always by Judy Armand of ESPN 97.7 The Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts, our executive producer from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. He is based out of the port city of Mobile, Alabama. Uh, first things first, most recent news first. I'll go ahead and bring in Drew. Uh, changes uh, in the offing on the staff of Alabama basketball coach Avery Johnson. I think I just managed to get Drew. Drew, did you catch that? I did not. What's going on, guys? Uh, we are uh, we're discussing the fact that Avery Johnson is making changes on his coaching staff, and uh, it sounds like it's going to be a change for the positive and uh, your basic home run hire. Yeah, I think so. It, it's been widely reported, uh, though not confirmed by the University of Alabama yet tonight, that John Pelfrey has been in town for a couple of days. He spent the last year out of coaching, uh, working for the SEC Network. Uh, prior to that, he, of course, uh, spent two uh, two stints on Billy Donovan's staff with the Florida Gators, helping them win a couple of national championships. Uh, he was at South Alabama as head basketball coach, and uh, and did a nice job, which means he's familiar with the state of Alabama. Uh, and then, of course, moved on to Arkansas, where that opportunity didn't work out as he had hoped. But again, he spent a year out of coaching after Billy Donovan went to the NBA, decided not to go that route, and looks like uh, there's a very strong chance that Avery Johnson is going to add him to the coaching staff. Scott Pospickle was given you know, a one-year deal, as you'll hear later in the show uh, during my interview uh, this morning with Coach Avery Johnson. And uh, let's just say he didn't deliver a couple of Texas kids. And Avery is uh, like Nick Saban. He's always looking to get better in every uh, aspect. And uh, he's going to try to do that with his coaching staff. And I think they also uh, made some headway today in 2017 recruiting uh, with an in-state prospect, Garrison Brooks, of all places, of Auburn High School, with a father that's at Mississippi State. Yeah, there's, and even though Mississippi State's in his final three, I, you don't really get the idea that he's anywhere near a lock to them. Uh, I saw the picture of uh, Petway and Avery in his home, and uh, the kid is wearing an Alabama jersey. And Alabama football has already set a precedent, going to have two starters this year from Auburn High School. So nothing wrong with basketball joining that party, too. Right. Uh, of course, Reuben Foster and Rashawn Evans. Reuben moving his senior year to Auburn High School, which backfired on the Tigers anyway and kind of set the precedent for what we've seen unfold over the last several years, though they did make one fluke run to the 
national championship game that never should have happened. But uh, that, that's neither here nor there. But again, yes, you're right, Rashawn Evans. Uh, and uh, Ruben will will definitely be the starting tandem and inside linebacker come uh, the fall against Southern California and in Arlington, Texas, and Dallas. So, uh, and then Garrison Brooks, uh, his dad, of course, uh, is 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 a coach, as we said, with uh, Ben Howland. But they've never really been the top school uh, was recruiting him, and of course, his dad George. But and I guess that could change. But uh, really, and it's funny, Auburn has never been really considered the favorite either. Alabama has been uh, getting stronger and stronger with him, I think, in their recruitment. And, and, they, and I, you hear the same with Alex Reese. So uh, it's going to be very interesting to see if Alabama can close the deal with those two and maybe, and maybe, other, maybe another couple of young men uh, in the state of Alabama as well. Reese is a hard one to figure. He's a, the junior at Pelham. Uh, there was an Instagram photo yesterday with him and Austin Wiley where Wiley proclaimed them to be future teammates. And, while he's committed to Auburn, but on the other side of the coin, you hear what a great relationship the Reese family has with Antoine Petway. That one's kind of hard to call right now, but I will agree with you on Garrison Brooks. But, you know, Drew, uh, the women's basketball staff has announced a change. Uh, former head coach at McNeese State, Brooks Donald Williams, it's a female, is joining uh, as associate head coach for Christy Curry. So this is the time of year where all kind of changes are made, not only on coaching staffs, but also on recruiting. And, uh, you know, one of the things about John Pelfrey, Drew, his last year at Arkansas, even though he didn't get to stay around and coach him, he brought in probably the best recruiting class in the history of the school. So we know that's one of his strong suits. But having been a head coach at South Alabama and Arkansas and having been an assistant with Billy Donovan, you kind of get the feeling that he's the kind of guy that can help Avery Johnson on the bench during games notice some things as well. Well, of course, and uh, I think you, know, you can. You always need an experienced set of eyes. He was also a great player in college, playing uh, for one of the uh, most unforgettable, and that's what they were called, the Unforgettables at Kentucky. His jersey is in the rafters in Rupp Arena, which is no small accomplishment. Uh, he'll have a lot of. Uh, he didn't play on the professional level, uh, but he he will still have a lot of uh, panache with recruits and and, and uh, playing for Billy Donovan, working or excuse me, working for Billy Donovan, playing for Rick Pitino. Uh, that goes a long way with recruits this day and age. And uh, I think he's well-known throughout the Southeast, as you said, has a lot of AAU recruiting ties. And I think Alabama, uh, and as you'll, you'll hear in the conversation later, uh, that we know they're going to, of course, try to put up a fence around the state of Alabama, but they're going to go everywhere to get players. And uh, it's an exciting time, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see, first of all, how even this April signing period uh, works its way out. Because I, I know Alabama's going to add some pieces. I think everybody's aware of that. It's just who are they going to be. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, hear, uh, and you've just been hearing more and more that, uh, that, they're, that they're involved with a handful of guys. And uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see who visits in the next month or so and who they could maybe lock up uh, to come to the University of Alabama. Yeah, it is. There's, there's so many people that are transferring. Close to 400 have already announced. And that's not even, that's that's counting graduate transfers and also people that are going to have to sit out a year. And Alabama needs to get at least two of those guys. You'd like to see them get a big man, but about the only big man you really hear him involved with right now is uh, for this class is Khalif Young, uh, which is a, a a player out of Canada, but he's uh, got an SEC type body, uh, a true center, uh, a guy that would come in and, and help them immediately. They think. But he's got some other people on his list. We don't know how that's going to go yet. We hope they can at least get a visit from Khalif Young, uh, who celebrated a birthday yesterday. But let's uh, go ahead, and, and because 
so many people tune into this show to hear us talk about Alabama football. Drew, you and I were both at the scrimmage this past Saturday. We both have our own sets of observations. But all in all, I will say this. Uh, for, for those of you listening who haven't heard much or read much about it, Drew, I think we can agree on one thing, and that's that Alabama may have the fastest defense in America. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about it. I think Jeremy Pruitt's very excited uh, about the defense, and uh, I think he's very excited with how they've played uh, up to this point and performed. Uh, I really like that Rashawn Evans took the inside linebacker like a fish to water, uh, had seven, eight tackles, you know, was in the backfield a lot, was very disruptive. Um, and then you now you have Ryan Anderson moving to the strong side uh, to flank uh, Tim Williams, two very good outside backers who can both rush the passer. Ryan's also very stout against the run. It's going to be interesting to see if Tim Williams can improve versus the run as well and be assignment sound. Um, you know, and then I think uh, the secondary, you know, I had a chance to speak with uh, someone that would know, and uh, he's, uh, he, in my opinion, uh, you know, he, he played the position in the defensive backfield. And he, when, I, when, I, when I spoke with him for 10 minutes after the scrimmage, uh, he said, uh, I, you know, I, 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 want, I mentioned to him, I said, well, I said, the, your guys back there were locking down. And uh, he said, he said, do what now? And I said, oh, the secondary looked really good. He goes, oh, yeah. And uh, I said, Minka, you know, he had the pick six, 50-plus yard return on uh, Blake Barnett's throw. And I said, he looks like he's going to be the corner opposite Marlon Humphrey. And he told me, he said, we've got three. Don't discount 28. He said he's really coming into his own. And Anthony Averett, uh, you know, and if Alabama's got three starting corners, that's huge. And then, you know, Eddie Jackson's been sitting out, so Murray Smith has been playing a lot of safety. I think he's proven he can do that, uh, but he'll probably be somebody that's mostly involved in the nickel and the dime. And then and then another uh, couple things that I noticed, even though I'm, not, I'm not sure he'll play a lot this year except on special teams, but I was really impressed uh, with the young player, the safety uh, from Texas. Uh, he looked really – I thought he looked really good as far as uh, just uh, – Getting comfortable back there. I thought he was around the football quite a bit. I mean, he didn't. Um, he, and as Coach Evans said afterward, when I asked him about Averett and uh, and the and the young guy, he said, "Look, he said he's really getting better. He's starting to improve. We know he's got a ways to go mentally, but we think he's still got you know a big time upside." And then with Averett, he 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 said something that was I thought very interesting because he said. Uh, Sometimes with guys, he this guy was a high school quarterback. You know, he he had the red shirt. It took him a couple of years, but he's finally starting to get it. Because sometimes I think, uh, as Alabama fans, and I'm I'm guilty of this as well. Alabama recruits at such a high level uh, that you know you can't you you sometimes write guys off because they continue to bring in talent. And a guy like Averett, he started to improve last year, but still had a lot of talented guys in front of him. And he got, of course Minka as well. Who's, but Minka is a freak. And so, but now he's very comfortable, and I think he can help them. And then with Deontay Thompson, young guy from Texas, he was somebody that spent most of last year at wide receiver, but they moved him back. And I'll never forget near the end of the recruiting process, some thought, "Hey, don't sign Deontay Thompson. He runs a four-six-five." I'll bring a comment up that my dad brought up when they talked about maybe he was too slow to play safety. There's a lot of guys that are fast enough to play safety, but they're dumb. And as my dad would tell me, he's like, "Son." Um, you're just going to get the wrong place quicker. And the thing about Deontay Thompson, he has football speed, great instincts, and he's always around the ball. He was around the ball throughout the scrimmage, I thought. 
and I think he has a very bright future. And then Lawrence Hootie-Jones, I wish I had asked Coach Saban about him. You know, he dropped a couple interceptions, but he was always around the ball, you know, talking to some people afterwards. He's been working really hard at the rec center after practice to continue to get his weight down. He's going into his junior year. He was heavily recruited, but it looks like he's uh, making the uh, necessary effort uh, to become a factor in the rotation. And all of this is huge, guys, because I'm telling you, uh, barring something, you know, unforeseen with this appeal, Tony Brown is gone for a year, and is basically uh, his career up to this point has been a waste. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. Um, other than a few special teams plays, I would agree with that. Uh, I would totally agree. And and you make a great point about Deontay Thompson and Hootie Jones. Uh, when Eddie Jackson does get healthy, uh, I think it's safe to say that he and Ronnie Harrison are going to be the safeties. If, if Mo Smith gets out there, I think he's probably the dime. Uh, if Mika doesn't play nickel, he'll play regular corner. And Averett, I think, has gotten himself in the rotation. Uh, the person I wouldn't that be surprised, Kerry. Really... I'm, 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 my, my apologies. I'll let you finish your thought. But I will say this. If, from what I was told after the scrimmage, and I'm, I'm anxious to see how the next two go. But if Averett continues on this path, because we've seen what a playmaker at that spot that Minka is, I wouldn't be shocked if Averett's the other corner and Minka is still, is still the, the nickel back. Well, that's very possible in the nickel. But I will say this, Drew. I think when they go to base defense against the Arkansas, the LSUs, maybe USC's, I think in the base defense, Minka's going to be a corner. They only use two corners. And I also think in the base defense, based on observation Saturday, that Rashawn Evans will come off and uh, Sean Deion Hamilton will go in to be by, by Reuben Foster. I noticed that they did that in base and they did that in short yard goal line. But Alabama will like 80, 85% of the time. So, Rashawn Evans is still your technical starter. It's just those two or three teams they play that run the ball so much where they play a lot of base. I think in the base that you will see Mink at corner and Sean Dion at the wheel. But, but we, again, they don't play base that much. Uh, but something else that didn't stand out to me, I really hardly even noticed Kendall Sheffield, Drew. Well, he played a few, a few snaps. No, I saw him out there, but I didn't see him do anything. I didn't he, lock, he locked down Dalen Charlotte once with – when the twos and the threes were out there. But with, with Kendall, once again, you, he's behind some very talented players. I mean, yeah. when you think uh, he, the, when you think about Minka and Marlin, I think both of them are first or second round draft picks. Uh, you know, I, those guys are going to go early in the NFL draft. Anthony Averett has been around longer than Kendall has. In many ways, they're the same kind of player with a track background and having to redshirt and wait your turn. Quite frankly, Alabama's squad is just very talented. It all it's the, the same analogy can be used for Deshaun Hand. Deshaun Hand was the number one player in the country by many people. He could have gone to a lot of other schools and played and started as a freshman. He did not. He, he's had to bide his time for two years behind a lot of very talented players, and now this will be his year to shine very likely. But Alabama is just so talented that, again, you kind of lose track of people. And I think Kendall can still play – I just think, and, and I have heard he's still got a ways to go, and he probably does, but I just think right now, there's the Alabama, <laughs> pardon me, it's very, very talented. And uh, I, I think, you know, from some, from a, a good, for a, you know, a great source who's talking to Jeremy Pruitt, I think Jeremy Pruitt thinks this defense has a chance to be nasty, especially if they can get Joshua Frazier's weight down to where he can sustain effort because he needs to be in there with Deron Payne, who is a monster, and give him more you know, flexibility inside. And I do uh, – now I was told also 
after the scrimmage that they're very confident in six defensive linemen right now. They had eight last year. Right now they think they have six. And to me, they're going to have two more that are good enough to contribute when they get there in May, and that's Jamar King, who's 26 years old, who's gone from 250 to 285 to 290, and then from the state of California in the junior college level, and then Quinnen Williams from Winona, who I know Bo Davis is so, so very high on, thought, you know, that in a lot of ways uh, he was was probably a top three player at his position nationally. Well, I think we have someone on hold now that's going to have some questions for both of us about the scrimmage as well. So why don't we go now to the Asian Rim hotline, and don't forget to patronize Asian Rim at the Colonnade Shopping Center on 280 in Birmingham. Anytime you can, go to their website, AsianRim.com, to check out their menu. But first up tonight on the Asian Rim hotline from Greenville, Alabama, is Colin Big C. McGuire. What is up, Big C.? Y'all are. What's going on? Hey, Drew. Hey, Big C. How you doing, brother? Good. You doing all right? Uh, yep, doing fine. Good. Y'all were mentioning something about the scrimmage. Now, how did Keith Holcomb perform? Or was he able to come? Or how do they work that out with him playing baseball right now? Well, well Big C, I'll give uh, Kerry Clark a lot of credit. He he kind of called that situation. I, I thought when Coach Saban had mentioned it in his press conference, last week before Saturday that Keith was going to be with the baseball team the whole time. Now, he was for the majority of it. He missed a couple of days of practice on Wednesday and Friday, but they did. he did come back for the scrimmage and missed the debacle on Sunday where Alabama got racked by an average Georgia team 12-4, to and the Twittersphere was, was strangely silent after hollering at me all Thursday about how Alabama was in first place basically a well-coached team, and I didn't know what I was talking about and quit talking about baseball. But well, well Drew, right. you can make season predictions for the SEC season when you're statistically less than a fourth through it yeah. and haven't played some of the best teams in the conference. But, you know, let's not let facts get in the way of our stupidity. Oh, oh they, they told me that I, I, was, I was calling for a coach's dismissal. You can't do that seven games in. Well, and that we were in first place. Somebody sent me a picture of the standings. Well, the moron didn't send me a picture of the standings 48 hours later when we got outscored 18-5, to including getting one hit on uh, Friday night. But that's another story. Don't worry. I've got those tweets saved. When (laughs) Gaspard gets fired, the BAMS radio Twitter account is going in for the kill. Here we go. Well, but anyway, Big C, but – but they, they, they uh, Colcom was there. He got a lot of rips. He played some with the ones. He played some with the twos. Uh, obviously, it set him back to miss a couple of days of practice. I still felt like he was active out there. He knew what he was doing. You can tell he's gained weight. Uh, he's 230 pounds. He's going to be involved, uh, and he, he will play behind. He's going to be actually. He's going to be. They're going to have great depth now with what they've done with Rashawn Evans. And you heard Kerry saying earlier, uh, just a few minutes ago that they play nickel 80% of the time, so he's going to be on – Rashawn's going to be beside Rubin. But they have two good backups now in uh, Keith Holcomb, who they're starting to trust a lot. And you saw what he did on special teams some last year, and then Sean Dion Hamlin. So they got four inside linebackers. Uh, You know, so Adonis Thomas still has a ways to go, though. He's got to gain some weight. He looked really skinny to me. Uh, He's somebody that in the summer is really going to have to hit the weights hard. But I think right now, if you you ask Jeremy Pruitt – He's got four guys he's really confident in playing inside. And uh, barring injury, Alabama should be in good shape at that spot. 
And then at outside linebacker, you got Tim Williams and um, number 22, Anderson. Uh, mm-hmm. Correct. Uh, now, I'm talking about Anderson, the young man named Keaton Anderson that redshirted last year. What are they going to do with him? What is he doing right now? What uh, What has he done so far? I can answer that, Big C. I noticed Keaton was with the first coverage team on the kickoffs. Yeah, he was. Uh, and he and, also uh, played with the threes, Kerry. Yeah, he played with the threes on defense, so he's not really a factor yet on defense six C. But when they had, when they put the first string kickoff coverage team out there, he was on it. And he'll and he'll be yeah. a demon back there. But big so C, he'll wanted, let her on that. He'll let her I, just on that. Well, Big C, I wanted to tell you to, to be be aware though, because it threw me for a second too, and I had to sit there and and process it in my head. He's not eighteen anymore; he's thirty one. <laughs> so they they he switched numbers. So just be ready oh. for that. Oh, okay. Well, um, now did you say that somebody that's coming in this summer is 26 years old? Right, Jamar King. He's he's an older guy. He he played college basketball and took some years off and was working. And a couple years ago, decided he wanted to try college football. And uh, he's played played two years out in California on the junior college level and really blossomed. You know, he he really didn't have a whole lot of football experience. He hadn't played in so long when he. When he played, uh, when he came out in 2014, and he uh, he was 250 pounds, had a pretty good year though, got some all conference buzz, and but then he came back and he gained 30 pounds, and he got up to 30, 35 pounds. So he went to 285, 290, and when that happened, your Alabamas, your Ohio States, your Central Floridas, all these schools started coming after him. He got a bunch of offers uh, after his sophomore year, and then. Alabama, they had him on the pecking order, and when you know Derek Brown got a house and two cars, and and when uh, and, and Jeffrey Simmons, you know, uh, got over a hundred thousand dollars, they ended up having to. to he, he was he was on the second line, and they ended up taking him. So they're going to bring Jamar King in uh, to to play uh, next year. He should make an impact. He only be eligible for one year or two years. Two years, he still got two. But yeah, I will say this: I'm not going to put the pressure on him like that. But it's safe to say, if he came in and made a huge impact, and even and I, I, he's going to be tough for him to start, unless Joshua Frazier can't get his head out of his rectum. But if he if he did have a big year, being 26 years old, I think he'd just go on and go. But again, that's just neither here nor there. He's somebody that Bo Davis is very high on. But he's 26 years old. But he his clock had never started. Big C, even though he did play, uh, I think a year of college basketball. Yeah, they they may have uh, they 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 may have treated that. I don't know if he even completed the season. So I guess uh, his clock hadn't started. So he's still got it. He may I don't even know. He may not have a red shirt year, but I know he at least has two years of eligibility. And I'll say this: if you know Nick Saban the way I do, he's not going to redshirt a junior college player, though. I will say, after watching uh, Jonah Williams, who I, I felt like was the best player in the recruiting class this past signing day, who is a freak in nature, there is a small possibility that they could redshirt Charles Baldwin if Corin Curvin, who I never thought I would say this, becomes a competent SEC football player and can allow them to do that. Now, I don't know if Baldwin will go for that. He should because he's still got a very bright future. But Jonah Williams is special. And, I mean, there's only a few of them that come down the pike. That Alabama's got two of them on one team with Cam Robinson just goes to, to, to tell you how good a recruiters that Nick Saban and his staff are. And to tell you that and to further, to further it, uh, Big C, this is how good a recruiting staff Alabama has. 
you get Cam Robinson from the middle of LSU country to come to Alabama and be a first, a top five pick, and you get Jonah Williams. First of all, it's it's a three-way deal with Jonah. He's he moved out to the middle of USC country, didn't become a Trojan, and second of all, his mother's an Auburn grad. And that got J.B. Grimes fired, uh, basically, because Auburn didn't sign him because Gus Malzahn had to come apart when he committed to Alabama. And then third of all, his dad's a Georgia grad. Georgia didn't get him either. He settled for in between at Alabama. And so that just goes to show you. And see, and Nick Saban and his staff are such good evaluators. They grabbed Jonah before he was being he was starting to rise nationally but there were still the Greg Littles and the other guys that were getting more publicity by the end of his senior year many thought if you talk to them off the record even on the record that he was as good or better than anybody in the country and he's already proven that when you think about how talented this roster is Big C and Jonah Williams took every snap with the ones at left tackle and the dude ought to be going to the prom that's all you need to know Almost, Drew. Corin Kerman took some of them. But well, when, I mean, when Corin went to left tackle, the point is Drew went to – I mean, um, Jonah went to right tackle. So, if you had to save a lineup right now, Jonah would be the right tackle, even with Cam at right. But he's taken just about all the reps with the left side, but you're correct. He, I will say this, Big C, you can, you can pretty much book this after what I heard after the scrimmage is that uh, Jonah Williams is one of the best five, which when you do the math, they think he's good enough to play center, guard, or tackle. It's going to likely be right tackle with Cam coming back. Cam is the alpha dog leader of that group. But then Lester Cotton will be inside. You know, as Coach Saban said, he felt like they had four tackles. They could play winning football. One of the surprising comments he had was he thought the tackles were ahead of the guards. And he said, what this means is that we're going to have one tackle likely move inside, and that would be Lester Cotton, and he would be uh, at left guard. And uh, I do have a small disagreement with Kerry. I do think that Alphonse Taylor to A, get healthy, and B, lose the weight, and uh, end up starting at right guard. I think he'll get his job back. Saban's a very loyal guy. Uh, but then I think Bradley Bozeman is going to be Alfred McCullough. Bradley Bozeman has practiced. He also saw some time at right tackle in the scrimmage. He has seen time at both guards center and uh, and even both tackle spots he's played every spot in the spring to see what he can do at each spot and I think he's going to be your uh, Swiss army knife and uh, we, and we know how injuries are so the first time somebody gets hurt Bozeman will probably be in the lineup uh, and he's going to play but I really think when you line up against Southern California at this time now there's two more scrimmages to go but I do think honestly it'll be Cam Robb at left tackle Left guard will be Lester Cotton. He'll be a sophomore. Then you're going to have the soft, the redshirt sophomore, Rosh Pierce Baker. He, the only thing he did wrong on the scrimmage, a couple of worm burner snaps. Brent Key lit into his ass. And after that, he was fine. And then you, at right guard, I think it'll be Shank. I think he'll get his job back. And then, then you'll have the right tackle, which will be Jonah Williams. And I'm going to tell you what, Big C, I watched Jonah Williams closely. Uh, and this shows you how good this kid is. I watched him on several occasions stonewall Tim Williams at left tackle, and you know what kind of first step he has because one on on one play sequence he stoned Tim Williams, and then they they flipped him to the other side uh, with uh, with Corin Curvin there, and Corin or excuse me they put Corin Curvin at left tackle. Pardon me, that's when they put Curvin at left tackle, and let's just say that Tim Williams got his. Uh, first sack of the day the very next play it looked like a turnstile and I'm not trying to uh, belittle Curvin who's improved a lot but I'm just saying Jonah Williams is 
not your average football player. He's going to be out of here in three years. All right, so you feel like because Alabama got uh, got this kid from California whose mama went to Auburn, that run that that got uh, that cost the offensive line coach of his job at Auburn. Oh no, I, I don't think there's any doubt he was told to look. I mean, you don't go from Auburn to Cincinnati. No, I mean you're that, right. On that's, that. that's just that's just the way it is. He had a relationship with Tuberville. But you don't go from Auburn to Cincinnati. You go from Auburn to Cincinnati because you're having to start Austin Golson at left tackle. He grew up in Atlanta, Big C. His daddy got transferred to California uh, when he was about yes. to go to high school. So he, he's really a Southern boy. He's listed in our oh, program okay. as being from Folsom, California. But I, right. think he, I think he was in Folsom, California about four or five years. But the prior 12 to 13, he grew up in Atlanta. So he's a Southern kid. Okay, well, that makes sense, but I think that's funny that I, I thought that was sort of strange that the offensive line coach put the camp against uh, uh, Cincinnati, you know. And what you're saying there makes total sense, Drew. You no, know, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's, he, that's a lateral move, that's a downward move. Yeah, see what happened, Big C. He, he visited Auburn and had a good time and everything, had a lot of good things to say to the people. Even though He doesn't do interviews, but they felt good about it. Then he went to Alabama and committed. And when as the process evolved and everybody realized how good Jonah was and Auburn's O-line recruiting wasn't very good this year, you know, they signed Brodarius Ham and they signed a project from Cincinnati, Ohio. It, they, they had a heck of a time signing any OTs. And, and we saw how Auburn performed and Avery Young went pro and Sean Coleman went pro. Pretty much, it just sealed the fate of J.B. Grimes, and he gone. Well, this guy named Han that they got, is he any good from what you know, or what's your opinion of him as an offensive line coach? Uh, he did a solid job at Penn State and Vanderbilt. Uh, he sounds like he's uh, really uh, uh, related to the players well, and he's a good recruiter. Uh, but I will say this, I still think in the end, I know I think Auburn's A-Day game this weekend, and I'm going to check in with him after that and see what kind of impact it had. And then he'll be going to Tuscaloosa the next week. In the end, when it all comes down to it, I still don't think Herb Hand is going to be able to get Austin Troxel uh, from Madison Academy. Uh, his, his dad is a, and his family have been huge Alabama fans. I know his mom has liked Auburn uh, during the process, but he, they grew up Alabama people. Uh, and I think with Mario there, I think Mario – um, is someone that's uh, made a big impact with his father, and really uh, his, his father has been a huge fan of Nick Saban since he's uh, you know been at Alabama. He wanted him to commit uh, when he first got the verbal offer, even though I'm not sure Alabama would have taken it at that point. Uh, but and then see what what's funny, uh, BamaOnline.com keeps saying he's to add weight to, to on his 275 pound frame. He already has. He's 309 pounds because he's coming back from a torn ACL. Uh, but I do think Alabama has a very good chance to get him, to get Kendall Randolph, uh, who will, I think, slide inside to guard. And then they want to try to keep Alex Leatherwood, who I think ha- has as much potential, he and Scott Lashley, uh, to be your right tackles over the next several years. And by the way, Big C, if you hadn't checked it out, you need to get on Twitter to RTR News and check out Scott Lashley running track. It's pretty comical stuff and shows how good a player that yeah, that guy is. And Really, I think he's still not getting the the, uh, the overall accolades he deserves. I think once he redshirts, he's got a chance to be special. Uh, and he, of course, was a Mississippi State legacy and really, really uh, put a sad uh, face on signing day to the Mississippi State folks. Um, 
Let me ask you something. Y'all keep up with recruiting. I'm going to ask y'all this off the wall question. All right, I'm going to ask you this. There's a kid that plays at Crapple High School, and for whatever reason, he's been starting off at tackle, and he's transferring to Edgewood Academy. Now, and then Edgewood Academy had a guy from Canada that played quarterback from them, and he supposedly was the best high school quarterback in Canada. Whatever happened to him, and what do y'all, what's y'all's opinion? Somebody that starts off at a 7A school going to a, a to a private school there in in Wetump County. Well, I think you just better be talented. You can look at what where uh, what happened uh, with uh, O.J. Howard playing uh, at an AISA school, though. I think it was part of O.J.'s development. It stunted it to a degree because it was a huge jump going from an AISA school to the SEC. But he is a really good player. Uh, but I think you're just going to have to see how he he better dominate at that level. Is all I'm saying. He better be unbelievable. Um, and I, I still think he should stay at the seven A school. The QB. I remember hearing about him. I remember UCLA was talking to him and some other schools. It sounded like he was probably going to end up going to junior college. I never finished. Uh, yeah, I never looked it up to see where he signed on signing day. But he really wasn't satisfied with his options. I know Florida Atlantic and some other schools, I think, were coming in on him, too. But he thought he was going to go big time. And uh, the only problem is, again, and I think Kerry can comment on it, too, it's just the level of competition there. Uh, Prince Tego Oahu, uh, Wanahagu, who uh, redshirted Auburn, he, they still think he has a lot of potential. But he came out of there last year and, and redshirted Auburn and is still got a ways to go to be a contributor, though I think he will be down the line. Well, I don't really I don't have know. a comment. I just couldn't get over. I read this thing about this guy that was a starting tackle at, at, at a Prattville High School, a seven A school, and then he said that's a good prep school for college. And you know, and I don't know if they got. I mean, I know they got some people that play baseball and end up doing okay playing SEC baseball. But I mean, I just don't know if anybody that's played there at Edgewood has really turned out to do that well on the college level, or at least not on the big level anyway, or, the, or, you know, the SEC or anything like that. And I was just was curious. I don't know why that just – that question just popped up in my head just right then and there to ask y'all that since we're on the phone. And I just – I couldn't get over reading that last week in the Montgomery Advertiser. This guy starting off at the 7 8 school, man, he's going to transfer to Edgewood Cat. Still well, you know, Big C, you know, Edgewood recruits, I mean, they haven't lost a game in, what, four or five years, so they recruit, so, you know, we'll we'll talk about that, I guess, some other time. They, they do have that Prince Tego, Wanama, whatever you call it, Wanna yeah. be they got him, but, but you know, Big C, we've got to uh, get to another interview. Thank you for calling. I'll text you later on tonight. Good night and roll tide. Drew, Thank let's you, go sir. ahead now to um, – your interview you did earlier this week with a great friend of our show, uh, William Redfish Barger. Go ahead and introduce that for our listeners, and we'll get that rolling for everybody. Absolutely. You know, we we, we talked about William Barger being a permanent part of our lineup. Uh, usually we have him on live. We're going to – I just felt like this week uh, we I had a good conversation with him uh, on Tuesday about spring practice. And uh, we and – and, and, and for those – Missed it on my show, Talking Ball. I felt like it was a good time to to kind of just replay that conversation and kind of get his thoughts on the scrimmage from uh, that happened this Saturday. 
this past Saturday, and of course uh, that he will be at the coaches clinic uh, coming up, and we'll have a report uh, this n- next week on Bams, and of course uh, t- very likely talking ball as well, and talk about uh, the uh, second scrimmage of spring practice. But I just wanted to bring this conversation I had with William Redfish Barger talking about uh, scrimmage number one uh, in the books for spring 2016, Nick Saban's tenth in Tuscaloosa and someone who's been a guest on the show frequently the last several weeks, especially with spring football rolling on, and that's William Redfish Barger, of course, a former Alabama offensive lineman and national champion. William, how are you doing this afternoon, sir? I'm doing doing great, Drew. Just down here in Birmingham trying to hide from the pollen. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. Uh, this, is, uh, this month and a half is not one of my favorite times of the year either as far as I love the sun, but – the following I could do yeah. without. I hear you. Killer. But what are your thoughts? Uh, again, wh- from what you you know, you I know you're as connected as anybody uh, with uh, wh- the, you know what you're hearing coming out of this scrimmage. Uh, of course, a lot being said about the quarterback situation, uh, and of course Blake Barnett's struggles. Uh, but just what are your thoughts? I guess first of all, as an overview of what you've been hearing. Well, I think first of all, things are kind of. You know, 90% of the pieces are in place on the defensive side of the ball. You know, mm-hmm. they're wanting to see if Josh Frazier can take that next step at the nose guard slash defensive tackle position to allow them to, you know, move around there in pain a little bit, add some flexibility and some run situations there along the, the defensive line. You know, I think that other inside linebacker spot's going to, you know, end up being a Sean Dion Hamilton in run situations and, and Rashawn Evans. Um, you know, against spread teams and in third down situations, um, you, know, you know they're they're trying to you know come up with that extra corner over there opposite of Marlon Humphrey, and I think Anthony Avery has kind of positioned himself to uh, make a run at that spot so they can move Nick Fitzpatrick back to the the nickel spot. So there's really not a lot of moving pieces or you know battles for position, so to speak, over on the defensive side of the ball. But if you flip the page and go back over to the offense, um, there's there's quite a few, especially along the offensive line, um, you know, and at the quarterback position. Obviously, that seems to be everybody's focus, even though it probably shouldn't be. But you know, a lot of moving pieces on that offensive line, and, and certainly, uh, you know, I think after the scrimmage on Saturday, um, you know, Cooper Bateman and David Cornwell, I think, you know, kind of took a step forward and maybe separated themselves a little bit from Barnett and Hurts, but you kind of got to take your hat off to the true freshman Hurts. He's only been on campus, uh, you know, a little over three months now. And, you know, to go out there and perform the way that he did in his, in his first collegiate scrimmage, um, you know, showing some confidence and some poise and, you know, some Blake Sims type uh, scrambling and scapability. Um, you know, I think that was a positive as well. But, you know, certainly I think everybody's a little concerned about the, the meltdown that Barnett had at quarterback. But, all in all, Drew, I think if you really look at, you know, the last couple of years of spring practice, there seems to be a lot more of a positive vibe, um, you know, through the first two and a half weeks of this year's um, spring practices versus the last two. Yeah, that's a great point. I think, uh, as you said, I think a lot of pieces are coming, uh, are, develop- are falling into place, coming into uh, focus and uh, I think uh, this football team has made a lot of progress already uh, in spring practice. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, just, but your thoughts? Uh, I know you, uh, you, 
just uh, you talked a little bit about the quarterback situation, and there could be uh, with Cooper Bateman and uh, David Cornwell some separation. Uh, now, uh, I, I, what I'm most anxious to see is wh- which which quarterback builds on what they did this past Saturday. And of course, I didn't think any of them stood out, but I did think Cornwell did some really good things. Cooper Bateman was solid. Who is going to uh, perform this coming uh, Saturday at the coaches' clinic? Because it's, this is going to be huge for Blake Barnett uh, if he wants to stay in this race. Yeah, I totally agree. I think he's going to need a uh, you know pretty spectacular performance if he wants to stay in this race for the spring portion of it. Obviously, I think they'll hit the reset button when fall camp starts in August. But, you know, what you want to see is certainly him bounce back, um, you know, Bateman and Cornwell to kind of build um, on what they did Saturday. Um, this, this scrimmage will be a little bit more uh, run-heavy, per se, versus what you saw last weekend. And, uh, you know, you want to see them, you know, kind of take command, look a little bit more comfortable. You know, I think if you break the two of them down, um, you know, Bateman kind of has more of a grasp on the offense. I think maybe getting them in the right play and diagnosing things at this point as what he sees. Um, you know, whereas Cornwell's got that flashy arm talent to make some flashy throws. And uh, so, you know, it's a good position to have. I think, you know, this time last year, um, you know, the position was a complete mess and, you know, nobody knew. Um, you know, I think at this time last year it was kind of, you know, Cornwell was starting to come along like he is now. Um, some people thought he was going to win the job coming out of A-Day last year, and, you know, that just didn't happen. He went backwards over the summer. So you just want to see him build on it, become more consistent and eliminate the mistakes. And, William, uh, we've got Hannah Stevens with me. Uh, she's a new part of our team here at 97.7, so I'm really excited about it. She's going to be on with me a couple times a week. I know she had a thought. You know, talking about the quarterback race, I think, you know, you just made a really great point about, you know, last year. But I think my question is this. Just, you know, the last two years you've seen transformation of Blake Sims and Jake Coker that I think people could honestly say they never saw coming. Just kind of talk about if that same type of thing happened with any of these quarterbacks now, just how that would excel the race than it, was, than it is now. So I think just if you would just explain just how the quarterback race could be much tighter in a few months than it is now because they could change so much. Oh, absolutely, Hannah. I think probably unless something drastic happens, you know, in the last two weeks of spring practice or in fall camp, it wouldn't shock me, you know, to see it play out like it did um, the last two seasons. You know, they might want to see a guy, um, you know, much like it took with Coker in the old Miss game. They might want to see – who the team responds best to in a game situation and who can make the, you know, the right calls. You know, a lot of people, and I think if you'll go back and watch the first quarter of that old Miss game, um, you know, I, I don't think Bateman's performance in that first quarter was as bad as a lot of other people do. You know, I think he was four or five passing. Um, you know, certainly that was his first start. He was nervous. You know, he had a lot of mitigating factors going on around him with all the turnovers that were taking place. But, you know, he had some positive things that happened to him in that in that first quarter. He had a big pass, a 30-yard pass to O.J. Howard. Um, you know, then he did have that unfortunate interception. But, you know, there's still some positives that could have been built on. But then, you know, you insert Jacob Coker, and, you know, he kind of put the team on his back and, and you know, executed one of many gutty performances last year. Um, so I think that's pro- that's how I see it playing out. That's how it's played out for every 
you know, starter that's coming into the next year. You know, a lot of people going back to 2011 felt like uh, Philip Sims was going to be the guy coming out of spring practice. And, you know, it took that performance on the road up to Penn State for A.J. McCarron to kind of solidify, um, you know, that job. So I expect it to play out the same way. Um, you know, for me, I think one thing that, you know, going into the rest of spring practice and, and fall practice, the one thing that I think Cooper Bateman could do to kind of solidify the job and maybe separate himself, because he does, you know, have, have some great wheels on him. If he can learn to develop some more natural instincts in, in executing that zone read play, where he doesn't just automatically hand the ball off to the dive back and he'll start reading that defensive end. Um, that was the, the, you know, the, the worst thing that I saw him do in the first quarter of that old Miss game is he left two, maybe three explosive 30-yard run plays he could have had himself mm-hmm. had he been more comfortable with that facet of the offense. And, William, I wanted to ask you uh, about, about uh, the secondary. We already talked about Anthony Averett a little bit, and, uh, sometimes I think as a fan base and I, and as to someone you and I have both covered recruiting, uh, you sometimes start focusing on other on other guys and incoming classes and newcomers, but you forget about Saban's process and developing players in the program over multi-seasons. Anthony Averett looks like he's someone that's caught on. He's been in the program a couple of years a former high school quarterback, was a great athlete and a track guy uh, in, uh, in in the state of New Jersey. Uh, but uh, with his development and then what we've with the uh, Tony Brown situation now facing an indefinite NCAA suspension, uh, do you, first of all, uh, I think uh, that, that Averitt is a big, him stepping up is huge. And with Tony Brown, if he, if this suspension, if Alabama does not win this appeal, uh, do you see Tony Brown, uh, ever playing again for the University of Alabama? Because we saw with Robbie Green, uh, he was never able to make his way back. I mean, I'll start with Avery at first. And, I, you know, I kind of like what he's been through, you know, to, to the same maturation process that ended up leading Blake Sims to, you know, breaking the school passing record last year. You know, Blake started off as a defensive back, then they moved him to wide receiver, then they moved him to running back. And so it took him a while to get comfortable. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you've got to leave a player um, at a position for a couple of seasons to let them get the reps and see, see things unfold before them at a fast pace before they can start playing at a fast pace. And I think that's kind of what's in the process of happening with Anthony Averick. Like you said, he was a quarterback that was used to having the ball in his hands in high school. Um, he, he never you know, focused on playing defensive back. He did it out of necessity for his high school team. So, you know, getting over there and working with Nick Saban at corner, you know, the light's starting to come on. Um, and like you said, I think it would be a huge deal, um, you know, for him. You've, you've still got Kendall Sheffield over there that could factor in. Um, you know, you've got a, a SEC-ready guy from a physical standpoint in Jared Maiden that's coming in, you know, in May. It's, he's already 6'1", 190 pounds. How quickly he can absorb the playbook will determine how quickly he gets on the field. But I don't know. I mean, uh, I think whether or not Tony Brown's at Alabama this time next year is going to be up to Tony Brown. I know, you know, he's a um, a special. He's got a special relationship with Coach Saban. Um, you know, Coach Saban's kind of been a father figure to him for three or four years now. Um, so, you know, if Tony Brown wants to be here, you know, he's got a, a plan in front of him for what he has to do to get back in good graces with the team 
Um, and it just remains to be seen. It's, it's not a question that I would feel comfortable saying yes or no at this point because Tony's been so inconsistent in his behavior since he's been at Alabama. And now I wanted to speak a, uh, of an area of your big-time expertise. That's the offensive line. Some very interesting developments and some comments from Coach Nick Saban. It looks as though uh, Lester Cotton will be in that first five. We just don't know what position yet. Though I strongly suspect it could be inside, as Coach Saban said, uh, they've got they feel good about the tackles. They feel like they have four, but one may have to slide inside. Uh, and you know, and, and I think he he thinks the offensive guards are making progress, uh, but they've still got to get better. Uh, Lester Cotton, we all know, we feel like he's a very talented individual, but it does seem like also uh, that Jonah Williams is, is special, someone that took all the reps at left tackle. Uh, in the spring game, in the spring game, in his first scrimmage, or I should say, spring scrimmage at the University of Alabama, just your thoughts on the O line, and then, uh, of course, luckily they have built up a lot of depth because, unfortunately, uh, as we confirmed on Saturday, uh, Richie Pettibon gone uh, with an ACL. Yeah, I mean, I think it's obvious if you just read, you know, Nick Saban's comments in the media. I mean, he, he's about you don't have to have. Uh, inside access to figure this part of it out at this point. He's basically already come out and said that as of last Saturday, Jonah Williams and Lester Cotton are considered two of the five best that they've got right now. Um, so, you know, I think you'll have to wait and see how that plays out. Um, you know, once Cameron Robinson uh, comes back and, and, you know, is 100%, you know, there's a little bit of a, a different animal that, that goes on, you know, if you move somebody from left tackle to right tackle, which I do think they're considering very strongly as far as Jonah Williams is concerned in an effort to get the best five on the field. Um, you know, I think that's all going to depend on, you know, whether or not Corin Curvin um, can come on and, and become a more complete player at right tackle. Um, you know, they've got three guys in the mix, um, you know, over there at the right guard spot with, uh, uh, you know, Shank Taylor, uh, Warmack, and, you know, Kennedy's, you know, bounce back between left guard and right guard, but, I could certainly foresee a, a scenario um, if things continue to go the way that they are right now that, you know, Jonah Williams could be your right tackle, uh, Lester Cotton could be your left guard, and then all of a sudden it's left to, you know, to kind of to decide between who's the best one of those guys at right guard between Taylor, Bozeman, and, and probably uh, Dallas Format. And then your thoughts on Shank Taylor, uh, of course, uh, been hearing that uh, he might be a little heavy, but also, I uh, could it also be he's a little nicked up? Well, I think it's a combination of both. Um, you know, I, I went went and did a little research this morning and, and found a picture of him that was taken over Easter weekend, which was, you know, what, two weeks ago. And he didn't look very much heavier to me in a sweatsuit versus what he was, you know, in the national championship game. And, you know, I think a lot of times people will see, well, you know, this guy's a little bit heavy. Um, you know, and that's to be expected for, for bigger guys along the, the offensive line and the defensive line. You know, you can't get bigger and stronger without gaining body weight. And a lot of times you'll see guys put on, you know, 15 or 20 pounds um, and go into spring practice that way because they don't condition and run as much in January, February, and March as they will once they start the summer portion of the program. That that extra running and the heat and humidity in Tuscaloosa is one of the best conditioners I've ever seen. So, you know, me personally, 25 years ago, 
Um, you know, I would float around 295 or 300 during spring practice, and I always ended up playing in the fall at 285. So I, I don't think the extra weight gain um, is a mitigating factor in Alphonse Taylor. I think he's nicked up. Uh, you know, maybe they weren't, you know, pleased with the, you know, something that he did in the off season. Uh, you know, if he was in the doghouse, so to speak, he'd be on the scout team, not running with the second team. So I still do think he is in the mix. Um, you know, started every game last year. Um, and, you know, it's just up to him whether or not he gets that starting position back or if he, you know, starts to drift down the depth charts. I think he does have some young guys, you know, that, that do kind of have the, you know, the fire in their eye right now and really are pushing hard to be one of those starting five. Well, and then to just go to the other side of the ball really quickly, I, you know, I was really hearing some rave reports and uh, about Rashawn Evans uh, on Saturday. Uh, he, 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 play, he had a seamless transition to inside linebacker. Just your thoughts on Rashawn. I think he may be headed for a breakout year and to be an All-American. I know that's saying a lot because he's been a situational player up to this point. We saw Tim Williams break out uh, last year, but I really think Rashawn Evans is on the brink of stardom. No, absolutely. And I think it's just a matter of finding a place where he can have a larger role, you know, in that defense. It's, you know, it wouldn't make a lot of sense to try and take, uh, you know, pass rush reps away from Jonathan Allen and Tim Williams. You know, they're the, the two leading sack returners from last year. I think Ryan Anderson was third. So, you know, finding a place for him to fit in and get more time on the field is just one of the, you know, the few important things I do think that Jeremy Pruitt's tasked with for this spring practice. And, and like you said, everything that I've heard, um, you know, he was a monster out there on Saturday, shooting the gap and tackling running backs in the backfield on running plays, um, you know, rushing the passer from the inside linebacker spot, um, you know, after spying a little bit. Same role that you saw in play versus Clemson in the national championship game. Uh, but, you know, again, I think Sean Dion Hamilton has kind of improved as well. And, uh, you know, that's that's something that, you know, we touched on a little bit earlier. That could be, a, you know, an either-or situation, depending on the type of offense that they play this fall. It could go from week to week, which one of those guys gets more reps in a game. Yeah, it really could. I mean, it's going to be very exciting to watch it develop. And then, of course, Ryan Anderson and Tim Williams being on the field at the same time also. Uh, Ryan Anderson, I've always felt like the last couple years has been an underrated guy with his contributions and uh, made a smart decision in coming back to school. And I think uh, he's he's going to be a future pro as well. And uh, Travis Ryer made a point of this morning – uh, uh, William, he doesn't get a lot of buzz because of Deron Payne and the, what how he tested out at pro day, and uh, what and, and then of course John Allen, his 12 sacks coming back, uh, and Deshaun Hand has gotten uh, a lot of publicity. But I, from what I saw Saturday, and then and what I and what you know and what he, what we saw him contribute as a junior, I still think, and it's saying a lot, but that Dalvin Tomlinson could be the best player on the front. No, I had a starting defensive lineman tell me, you know, after the A-Day game last year that Dalvin was actually the best defensive lineman coming out of spring based on his production and practice and scrimmages. And I think where, you know, Tomlinson becomes such a key role that we start looking at what, you know, Nick Saban and now Jeremy Pruitt have always liked to do with their defensive line is, you know, you get Tomlinson and John Allen, you've got two guys that can play along with Deron Payne, I think all three of them are proven commodities, you know, inside of the defensive tackle spot where you can, 
you know, have the flexibility of playing a guy as a five technique, five technique defensive end in the base front. And then, you know, they spend 90% of their time these days, you know, in a 4-2 look. I'm having those two guys that you can slide down inside, hold the point of attack if it's a running play. And then you've got guys like, you know, uh, uh, Deron, I mean, uh, shoot, Deshaun Hand and, uh, 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 God, almighty, I'm losing my train of thought. You got, you got, uh, uh, Deshaun Hand on one side and then Ryan Anderson at the other that was a typical rush defensive end in that 4 2 package. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives them more flexibility, it gives them more depth. You know, coming out of spring last year, you know, they had eight defensive line bodies that they felt like they could play at any given time, depending on what the opposing offense was wanting to do. I think right now they've got six. So they're looking for two more guys, and you know those extra two guys might come from the guys that show up this summer that still haven't reported yet. Yeah, Jamar King and Quinnen Williams being two of the more prominent ones, no question about that, that could have an effect on the depth chart. And, of course, we know how high you are and what you've uh, seen and heard of Bo Scarborough. He certainly did not disappoint in his first scrimmage. Uh, but I, I thought one of the more encouraging things what, was what Nick Saban had to say about Damian Harris. But it also looks as though uh, that he's counting on B.J. Emmons and Joshua Jacobs to throw their hats in the ring come May. Yeah, and I think that's something right now that, you know, Alabama, if you look at what the, how they came out of spring practice last year versus how things played out during the course of the season, that they never really had a proven, healthy second back mm-hmm. to complement Derrick Henry with, you know, uh, Kenyon Drake, you know, battled some injuries during the course of the season. I mean, he was the legitimate second back, but he wasn't always available from week to week. And, you know, Damian Harris has gotten bigger. Um, you know, he's gotten stronger. He's, he's more comfortable. He's getting more reps behind the first-team offensive line this spring. So I expect a, a much more proven product and a more complete product than what you saw out of them last year. You'll, you'll see him get better, you know, as a pass blocker, picking up the blitz as a receiver coming out of the backfield. But, you know, it's, it's just a deal. Uh, you know, the only way I see both Scarborough not being the starter um, you know, for the 2016 season is if he struggles with turnovers and, uh, you know, starts letting the quarterback get killed and blitz pick up. He's just got that much talent and ability, and I think the people that were at the scrimmage Saturday, uh, you know, saw that on display. He's not quite, I don't think, as fast top end as Derrick Henry was, but he gets to whatever his top end speed is much faster than Derrick did. Yes, and he still has the ability to break tackles and even make people miss. Three TDs in the scrimmage and 132 yards rushing, including a 96-yard touchdown run. And, William, uh, finally, what are your what are the, the storylines that you're going to be following closest for this scrimmage number two coming up at the Coaches Clinic on Saturday? You know, just seeing who the guys are. You know, you, this is I always called this uh, movement Saturday in, in the spring and in the fall, that second scrimmage. The guys that you know, performed well, um, they're going to get more reps. Um, you know, can they build on that with more reps? Can they go a, uh, a larger number of repetitions without making critical mistakes? And uh, I think you're going to see that at the right guard spot. You might see Jonah Williams get a little look at right tackle to see if he can be as effective there as he has been at left tackle. You know, certainly the quarterbacks are going to be, um, you know, with a little bit more pressure on them. 
And, uh, you know, with, with uh, you know, Robert Foster kind of being on semi-spring break and they're not still letting him do a lot of stuff, you know, it's given guys, you know, like uh, Derek Keith and Daylon Charlotte, some of those other wide receivers to show what the coaching staff can do. So and even though there are a lot of positions that are solidified, you know who the guys are going to be, um, they're still going to give a lot of these young guys um, you know, can Christian Miller and Anthony Jennings make enough explosive plays and pass rush situations where, you know, maybe they start getting some of those reps too. Yeah, that's a great point, William. It should be great stuff, and we look forward to talking with you next week and getting your thoughts from the scrimmage this coming Saturday at the Coach's Clinic. We always appreciate the mm-hmm. info and the, t- and the uh, Crimson Tide football talk. That was William Redfish Barger talking to Drew DeArmond and uh, Hannah Stevens on ESPN 97.7 earlier this week. Great insight there. Appreciate William for that and uh, Drew and Hannah for asking those questions. But for now, uh, we're going to take a break for a few minutes. Next hour, we're going to hear an interview Drew did with Avery Johnson this morning, University of Alabama men's basketball coach. And we'll also hear it live at the bottom of next hour from Rodney Orr of TideRissaller.com. But for now, we're going to take a break. You're listening to BAMS Radio. Log Talk is badly belching.
caught a trucker out of Philly, had a nice long talk. But he's a headed west from the Cumberland Gap to Johnson City, Tennessee. I gotta, I gotta move on before the sun. I hear my baby calling my name and I know that she's the only one. And if I die in Raleigh, at least I will die. Welcome back to Bams Radio. Kerry Clark here from BamaMag.com. Joined as always by Drew DeArmond of ESPN 977. Alabama Magazine. We have a new posting out there on break. We play digital stuff. We play vinyl and just flip the record on Going into his now his second season at the helm of the uh, Crimson Tide basketball program, and that's uh, head basketball coach Avery Johnson. Coach Johnson, how are you doing this morning? Good morning, Drew. I'm doing great. Roll Tide. Roll Tide, Coach. We want to thank you for taking the time to join us. I know it's a busy time of the year for you, and I guess first to 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 to, to start it off, talk about your first year at Alabama. It's really gone by in a blur uh, since you got off the plane and. I know uh, the expectations in the preseason by the experts were not high, uh, but being able to follow your team closely and see you guys play uh, a multitude of times, I thought uh, you and your staff laid a solid foundation in year one. Yeah, I agree with you, Drew. We Year one was about changing the culture, you know, laying that foundation. And we felt, uh, you know, when we did our post-game, post-season, um, evaluations that we, we we got the program headed in the right direction. Uh, we had a lot of kids that incrementally got better, uh, like you know guys like Jimmy Taylor and uh, Riley Norris, and we had some guys that significantly got better. You know, Red Nobasahan and Arthur Edwards and Dante Hall. Those guys uh, significantly got better, and you know guys like Riley. You know, started a lot for us at the three position, whereas he played the four position most of his career. And just moving guys around and, you know, guys buying into, you know, what we were t- teaching and putting on their hard hat and going to work every day. So we we felt, um, you know, we did a pretty good job overall. Obviously, we got to a point where we got hot there in the middle of conference season. And, you know, we became a team that was – you know, on the bubble watch, and that was pretty exciting for our program and all of our fans and students. So it was great that our players got a chance to experience that. And now the next step is to continue to recruit and, you know, bring in players um, that have the type of DNA we're looking for and, you know, the players that we that are returning and gives us some continuity on our team now. And uh, so, yeah, we feel our future is bright. And, Coach, speaking of uh, the player development, I thought, as you mentioned, Retno Bosson t- took such a big step forward. Arthur Edwards 
uh, had such a, a great final year for you. How excited are you now? You, you you know what you have. You had to figure that out when you got here last year, and of course you had to mesh as a staff. You were putting a, your first staff together uh, about working with these guys over the next calendar year, and how much better uh, all these uh, all your returning players can get. Absolutely, we we had a little workout uh, on uh, Tuesday, and you know now we get Dejon in uh, Dejon Ingram back from his uh, foot surgery and he's looking good and we got our two guys that were red shirts last year Avery Johnson Jr. and Nick King they're going to be eligible now and they're going to provide you know all those guys can handle the basketball uh Jr. and Nick can shoot the three and Brandon Austin's going to be returning you know he had a little bit of an up and down year but he's going to be much better in Shannon Hill so you know now we got some continuity we got guys that understand our terminology and you know, what we want on both ends of the floor. We're still trying to play a little bit faster. We, we didn't play as fast as I wanted to last year. And, uh, so, yeah, we'll play faster, hopefully increase the possessions offensively, you know, maybe extend our defense a lot more. And, and uh, you know, and we got some key guys coming in, uh, guys that are versatile, that can handle the ball and uh, defend. Yeah, you can, Coach. And, and for the for the listeners – uh, who I know they they read about him, and of course you had a chance now to see him in practice and work with your team. We heard a lot of positive buzz, but uh, kind of talk about what you think uh, the the uh, two young guys that are already in your program, Nick King, and of course your son Avery Jr. can bring to the team next year. Yeah, well, both of them can bring some experience. Uh, Avery, you know, played one year at uh, Texas A&M, so he's familiar with the SEC, and and uh, Nick. Uh, you know, was a two-year uh, player at Memphis and, you know, started a lot of those games. So that experience is going to help us. And, and I think those guys are just hungry. You know, they sat out last year and was only able to practice. So they're coming in with a lot of positive energy um, that, you know, in depth. You know, we think we're going to be a much deeper team, a more versatile team next year. Uh, so, you know, Last year we basically played, you know, six and a half, seven guys consistently. I hope to play nine or ten guys this year. Um, so we're hoping that our quality depth is going to improve. Absolutely. And then your two signees, Coach, both had outstanding years. Uh, the MVP, of course, uh, Braxton Key of the uh, national tournament that was televised on ESPN, uh, crowning uh, the Oak Hill Academy as the de facto national champion. And also Armand Davis from the College of Southern Idaho. Both those guys look like they can bring a lot of versatility and athleticism and, and scoring ability to your team. Yes, absolutely. And you know, both of those guys are six, seven, or above. And um, you know, Armand's a sharpshooter. You know, he can shoot it from the parking lot, and um, you know, he can handle the ball. And you know, that those two years of experience in junior college is going to be valuable. He's he's a little bit older. So he's a, he's not a freshman, and obviously Braxton had an unbelievable tournament, and um, it was great advertising for Alabama basketball. And he's he's a special kid. He's a versatile kid. Got a great family. Uh, he's played in some really big games. So yeah, you know both of those guys they'll be here in June for our first summer uh, session, and uh, you know in school, and uh, we can't wait to get them on campus. And then, Coach, of course, uh, we saw yesterday that Coach Pospickle is going to 
is uh, leaving your staff to be back home closer to Texas, and you will have a uh, spot to fill. Any kind of timetable on uh, when you're going to complete your second staff at the Capstone? Yeah, we hope to have it completed by the end of the week. And uh, Scott did a, you know, a nice job for us. You know, basically when we, when Scott came on board, it was just a one-year deal to kind of help me in my first year to get the program launched here at Alabama. And he did a really nice job for us. But, you know, his heart is in, is in Texas, and you know he wants to go back, get closer to home. He has three triplet daughters, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, two of whom are in school and in, in, uh, college in Texas. So. Uh, yeah, he did a nice job for us. We're definitely going to miss him. Uh, but, uh, you know, the next coach that we bring in is going to have a tremendous amount of um, experience and and uh, is going to help us on so many different levels. So hopefully we'll have an announcement, you know, here sometime soon. Yes, sir. And, and then speaking of that, uh, you've got to be excited about the future because – uh, recruiting is, is so crucial. You had two young men uh, decide to move on from your program, Michael Kessens and Justin Coleman, uh, but that leaves you, uh, I believe, four spots that you could fill. How many players do you uh, do you have an idea of how many you might add in the late signing period? Yeah, we, we have an idea. Um, so, you know, obviously I can't talk about those kids. But right. We have a strategic plan in terms of uh, filling out the remaining spots on our roster and, and, uh, you know, our coaches have worked awfully hard at building relationships with a lot of our recruits. And and um, so, yeah, hopefully we'll, you know, we'll get lucky here in the late signing period. And, um, and uh, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And, Coach, I, I know you were at the Final Four and you saw Villanova win. Uh, I, and, and after reflecting on the season, uh, what, what your team accomplished beating Notre Dame, a team, uh, that returned uh, to the Elite Eight uh, and had such a, an outstanding season. And then uh, and then seeing a team like Villanova with what Jay Wright has built there, some very good players, but kids that also stayed in the program three or four years. Has it, uh, how has that uh, affected your thought process and how you want to build your program at Alabama? Well, it just confirms that you you got to have a balanced program. You know, maybe have a kid that's one and done and, but also, you need some four-year seniors. You know, you need some guys that are upperclassmen that have experience, and um, and, and, and you, so you, so you can have a balanced team. You can't have all freshmen. Um, so that it confirms that we need toughness. Uh, we we need players that can shoot the basketball, pass it. Uh, guys who can make free throws. I think that's something that's always overlooked. But yeah. That's what we're trying to do. We're just trying to build a balanced program. Yeah, and I know uh, they, uh, they watching Jay Wright and what he's done. I know that'll. Uh, I know that had to be encouraging and and beating uh, and, and 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 beating the Wichita States and the Notre Dames in your first year just wet it, it wets the fans' appetites. And I know you have to be excited about the fan support uh, and the new energy in the program. And it should only get better from here, Coach. Yeah, and it wasn't just. Um, Villanova. It was also Oklahoma. I know Oklahoma didn't play their best game in the uh, semifinals, but you know that's another quote-unquote football school. Uh, and Coach Kruger's done a nice job. They've been patient. They've built it. They didn't have a lot of top ten players, um, but they they developed their players, and it's it and they grinded it out, and they made it to the um, final four and. Uh, you know, we're in a 
similar situation. We're quote unquote a football school mm-hmm. that's they're trying to build an outstanding uh, basketball program, and that's why the university is going outside the box and bringing in the coach, you know, from the NBA, and, and you know we're on our way, but it's not, not going to happen overnight. Uh, we we hope to make a, another positive step forward this year, and uh, but you know we're not playing the crimson white team uh, against the you know the. the red team. We're playing against some terrific teams in our conference. Hopefully we'll have more than three teams make it to the NCAA tournament because that's good for everybody, and hopefully Alabama will be one of those teams. Absolutely, Coach, and i got to tell you, I know you and Bob Simon and Antoine Petway were here uh, for a historic event in the city of Huntsville uh, when Johnson and Lee played their final game against one another now that Jemison High School will be opening. 5,500 people uh, that set a record uh, for a high school basketball game in this area. What an atmosphere that was. And I know uh, you, there there are kids you're recruiting in that 2017 class in the state of Alabama that are uh, that could be very important to the future of Tide basketball. But I know uh, Scott Pospickle and Antoine Petway uh, both were here for the Huntsville Times Classic as well, where we had 3,000 fans for the finals of that game. There's a lot of uh, basketball passion in the state of Alabama that's, uh, that I think uh, you guys have realized that there's people hungry for success here absolutely the state there's a wealth of talent all across the state and we're going to do our best to you know get involved with all of those kids and their families and uh, um but at the same time you know we're, we're going to try to bring in you know the best players uh wherever they are mm-hmm. you know whether they're in alabama or neighboring states but yeah we have a tremendous amount of talent here and you know i talked about putting the fence around alabama uh, when I first got the job, and that's what we're going to try to c- continue to do. And before we talk about your camps, Coach, coming up, it's such an important part of the yeah. foundation you're laying for Alabama basketball. Mm-hmm. Also, it, lo- it looks like uh, you and your staff are going to put together, once again, a very impressive uh, pre-conference schedule for the for your second time. Well, yeah I, yeah, I can't talk too much about that right now, but, yeah, just be on the lookout, you know, later in the summer for us uh, making those announcements. But that's very important, our non-conference schedule. We thought we did a nice job last year, uh, you know, when we played against Oregon and Dayton and, Xavier and Notre Dame and Wichita State and all those schools. So, you know, we, we, we're we not trying to schedule soft, you know, we, we but we want to be very strategic and it's very intentional at how we schedule. Uh, so, yeah, we'll have some announcements later on in the summer uh, about uh, some of our uh, non-conference games. Absolutely, Coach. And we know June is going to be a big month for you. Your camps are coming up, and that is such a big part of helping you uh, build your program at Alabama. Yeah, Drew, I want to encourage all of the parents to around the state of Alabama to go to CoachAveryCamps.com and uh, take a look at, um, you know, what we're going to be doing this summer with, with our uh, individual camp, which is for uh, boys 7 through 17. You can come for you day camp or overnight camp and our players are going to be there coaches uh, uh, my coaching staff is going to be involved i'm there every day all day mm-hmm. you know helping kids with all of the fundamentals of the game and, and it's going to be a fun environment uh, the kids are having an outstanding time last year we had about 180 kids uh the camps are filling up extremely fast so uh we really would ask uh, all of our parents, if you're interested in getting your kid in our camp, sign up today. 
uh, go to CoachAveryCamps.com and sign up. I know you're going to give out some additional information with a call-in number, uh, but I'm uh, really excited about it. Uh, we're potentially going to have 300-plus kids at our camp. We're going to have to cut it off at a certain number. So uh, we want to encourage uh, parents to go online and uh, sign up for our uh, camp. As kids get an outstanding-looking T-shirt, a lot of fun, a lot of games, great food um, here on our campus. And uh, it's just an unbelievable uh, camp. It's one of the top camps that I've ever been involved with. Absolutely. And that's going to be June 19th through the 22nd. Coach Avery Camps at ia.ua.edu for the email and the phone number 205-348-4111. And, of course, you can also fax 205-348-7417, P.O. Box 1337, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, 35403. But CoachAveryCamps.com for your son. Well, that was Avery Johnson talking to uh, Drew DeArmond earlier today, ESPN 97.7 The Zone. And, of course, Drew, he uh, he couldn't talk too much about recruiting, can't really name names. But, uh, you know, he, he, he was the adamant they're going to add some guys in this late period, which starts on April the 13th, and I believe it runs for two or three weeks, but it starts on April the 13th. Uh, you get the feeling that most of the people that are looking at Alabama right now are, are guard types. There's, hopefully there's a big man out there somewhere. There is. I can tell you right now um, to watch. And it was reported by Garrett Tucker, who was on my show before Avery and kicked off everything. And he told me to watch six foot eight, two 220-pound power forward L.G. Gill of Duquesne uh, out of the uh, Philadelphia area. He's someone uh, that Alabama is interested in. He's a, He's got one year of eligibility left would be a graduate transfer, averaged 10.5 points and 6.5 rebounds per game last year for the Dukes. And uh, I think he's someone that may be uh, – it wouldn't be surprised if he visits in the next few weeks. And if so, uh, he could be a big man that could be added to the roster for Alabama. And you have to wonder also if Alabama still has at least a puncher's chance with the uh, Canadian big man, 6'9", around 235, uh, Khalif Young. Well, we'll see. I mean, I haven't heard too much buzz about him lately. See if he makes a visit. Uh, now that uh, Bruno Fernando is going to play for Larry Brown at SMU, uh, he's uh, off the board. Uh, but LG Gill, I had not heard his name until today. And that just goes to show you that the transfers or uh, the, the, these graduates and uh, young men transferring from four-year institutions that will have to sit out. It continues to grow every day. And I do think – I thought it was very interesting that Avery Johnson was adamant that they had a plan. And they were looking to execute that plan. And I think also the assistant coach hire we expect to be made official by the end of this week with uh, with, uh, with John Pelfrey has been in the works for a while as well. Another name that's getting a little buzz with Alabama, uh, we don't know yet if he's going to visit or not, but he's at least getting mentioned with us, is a 5'11 point guard uh, who'd be eligible immediately because he's coming out of junior college in North Dakota, Julian Walters. He was today named a first-team All-American, 5'11, and Drew shot 51% behind the arc and averaged almost 19 points a game. Yeah, I've, been, I've heard a little bit about him, some buzz, but we'll see if that, if that ends up coming to fruition. Uh, for Alabama, but I do think uh, it wouldn't surprise me if they can find the right fit, Kerry. If if uh, they if they if they end up with 
Um, in my opinion, I, I, I w- it wouldn't surprise me, let's just say, that they, I, if they bring in two graduate transfers. Yeah, I agree with that. And uh, like you said, one of them could be a big man. But another one could be a wing type of guy similar to Arthur Edwards. And they're in on a couple of guys like that, uh, such as uh, Avery Woodson from Memphis and then the young man uh, Katine something from Southern Cal. Yeah, they are. They're definitely uh, in on a couple of guys. Avery Woodson. Most are thinking SMU may have the best, or excuse me, BCU uh, may have the uh, the best uh, shot to get him. But the one I've been told to watch, and he's a California kid, uh, but he's a junior. He had spent some time at UNLV, six foot six, two twenty. Uh, but as Kate and Reinhardt, just kind of watch him. He uh, he had a really good year uh, for Southern Cal, and I think he's already announced that he was going to transfer. And I've been told that there may be quite a bit of uh, mutual interest there uh, between Kate and Reinhardt and Alabama that I think Alabama is definitely on the short list. He only started uh, 18 games, played in 34 uh, for the Trojans, but he averaged 11.4 points per game. Shot nearly th- over 37% from the three-point line, 78% from uh, the free throw line. And, again, I think he would be a perfect replacement for Arthur Edwards. Yeah, and plays the same position and uh, knows the game. And Yeah, so I've seen some angst on almost every Bama website that nothing's been announced yet. But uh, Relax. There's, ar- there's already – yeah, chillax. There's already uh, – about 400 kids have declared, and there may be another two or 300, and Alabama only needs two or three of those. So uh, Alabama will find the right fit. It's just it's not going to happen tomorrow morning. The new assistant coach might, John Pelley, but the new players will be probably later this month. But I think we have seen enough of Avery Johnson that they can trust his evaluation skills. Yeah, he, and they will add at least two, if not plus, I think. They may not use all four of the scholarships and that's kind of tough to do. Uh, yeah. But it does, I would not also be surprised, uh, you know, if, if and I'll probably, I'm probably going to butcher the last name, but the, the young man from Tulane, uh, Dylan, uh, or something to that effect, he averaged 11 points and 8.4 rebounds for Tulane. I think he's someone that they would take and let sit out and be a quality addition. They would be able to do something like that. Uh, and, the one thing yeah, I took from conversation was that uh, Avery Johnson uh, had a uh, had, had, was very confident, I think, in the plan they're going to execute. And I think he I, – I, and I, we didn't go into it too much, but I don't think he was super concerned about the two kids that transferred. And, you know, you, you, you've read the list of those two guys, Michael Kessens, uh, UC Santa Barbara, Wichita State. That kind of was a surprise. But mostly, uh, you know, did it be – one like mid-major programs, and then with Justin Coleman, there was some strong speculation this week about Georgia State. There's been Murray State and Sanford. Both those guys, were, you know, were quality citizens and contributed to the team. Either one of them are big-time SEC players, and I think uh, it, everybody knew the roster would be turned up and need to be talented. I don't think out about going to be starting even next year, and I think uh, Avery Johnson's very confident that they on Ingram's be back and be healthy and just be a special player. And, and I want to ask him about Ning. I really think Nick King has a 
chance to be a really good player next year and maybe make a, a, a retin obasa Han type improvement and be a, re, a double-digit scorer and rebounder who was underdeveloped at Memphis. And then you can tell he's confident in his own son uh, to back up days on and, and kind of take that role that Justin had last year as the backup point guard. Yeah, I, I think that uh, from, a, from a perspective of taking care of the basketball, that Junior might be a little bit of improvement. I don't know oh, no yet. <laughs> I, I, I don't know that. yet. Uh, well, Justin had a decent uh, assist turnover ratio. He had the best on the team. But that may be a little better than that. He was just erratic, though, at times. I mean, very, he was up oh, and down definitely with his shot and protecting the ball. He played very well. And there are times just uh, – he just, you know, he on the floor. He was just, he was a liability, and so I think that, and I, and I, you know, I was hoping Justin would stay in the program, but I think he wanted to start, and the only way he was going to get starters minutes is to sit out somewhere, and and maybe he will reunite with Devin Mitchell, who was a class kid too. I mean, I wish Justin all the luck in the world, but when you're five nine, you've got to be able to consistently make shots, and. I think he started to get better as the year went on. That's why I was hoping he would stay. But he's really, as Cecil Hurt said on my show Monday, uh, I had thought that they might go with some two-point uh, guard sets. But as Cecil said, you really can't play Justin off the ball because of his height. It's pretty much impossible. He's a point guard. Uh, that's the one position he can play. And he just he, he was going to be at a disadvantage of his size. And maybe he'll have more success on the mid-major level. Well, I think that's a very good possibility. He's supposed to announce his uh, final four or five schools next week, but there's a lot of speculation about Georgia State, and that would be cool if he got reunited with Devin Mitchell. The only problem is Justin will be sitting out one year, so they wouldn't play together but one year. But it would still be cool to see it. Uh, I know Devin's recruiting him hard. I noticed that on Twitter. Uh, so, you know, and Devin is a former alumni of this show. You know, and so is Justin. <laughs> Even though we couldn't really hear much Justin was saying that night because he was at a and uh, so, yeah, it, it's going to be fun to watch this late signing period. And uh, we've got another guest coming on in just a minute, Drew. But before we do, I want to mention, we talked baseball the first hour. Uh, but this hour, I want to shout out to the softball team of Patrick Murphy, who oh, jumped yeah. their RPI from eight to four. They're now fourth RPI in the country. They went to Florida against number one team in the country. They had one loss all year and gave them two losses in the same weekend. John, and Sidney Little John, uh, National Player of the Week, SEC Pitcher of the Week. Uh, you know, the conference seems to be sort of figuring out Alexis Osorio a little bit, but there'll have to be some changes made by Stephanie Van Brakel. She'll handle that. I'm quite confident that she will. She's actually quoted as such. But you got to give credit. Sidney Little John stepped up, Drew. Oh, yeah, big time. I mean, uh, it just goes to show you uh, what coaching can do. And uh, I. As I tweeted out after the Alabama won the Florida series, and they should have swept Florida, honestly. Uh, they, that's what elite coaches do. They adjust, and their team gets better. Uh, and they truly are. I know they're only 5-4 and four in the SEC, but I expect them with the way the schedule st- st- stacks up. They don't play Auburn in the regular season. I think they're going to go on a run. I don't know if they'll win the SEC, and I talked to Tommy Dees about that Monday uh, on uh, Talking Ball, but – I think they're still going to have a very good chance to get back to Oklahoma City and make a run at a national championship, and really uh, that's all that matters. And, and we also, I also had a chance to talk to Caleb Bro, thanks to Hannah Stevens, who uh, the newest addition to 97.7 The Zone did a great – she has a great relationship with the softball program, got Caleb Bro on the SEC Network analyst, and uh, she, uh, she basically agreed. She thinks the league is the best in the country, and 
she spends time on the West Coast, still in Oregon, of course, and in and, and Charlotte, North Carolina, working for the SEC Network. And as she said, the SEC, she talks to little girls all the time or upcoming softball players on the West Coast, and you ask them what the, who their favorite team is. They don't say USC or, excuse me, UCLA anymore or Arizona or Arizona State, uh, Cal, any of those. They say Florida, Alabama, uh, Tennessee. Uh, the SEC is beginning to take over. They've got nine ranked teams from the league. It's the deepest league in the country. And as, uh, you know, Kayla made a great point of saying, uh, what Patrick Murphy tells the team every weekend is when you go to play an SEC school, it's like playing in a super regional. And so you have to be ready to play and uh, play your best softball. I think uh, Allison Habit, she does a great job of uh, scouting and uh, preparing and helping the team. And then you brought up Stephanie Van Brakel. Uh, Coach Studeman did a great job with the pitching when she was there. But I think, uh, no disrespect, but I think Van Brakel has done an even better job. And, of course, her being a former player at the school really helps as well. She understands Patrick Murphy. There's perfect synergy there. I just think uh, they're one of the best coaching staffs in the country. And uh, it's just amazing to me when April comes around how Alabama always gets it rolling in softball. And uh, I expect nothing less than uh, them to get going and uh, end up back in Oklahoma City. I think so, too. And also shout out to the gymnastics program for winning their regional this past Saturday night, 197.125. They're going to nationals yet again with a good chance of making the Super 6. But, Drew, let's go ahead now on the Asian Rim Hotline and bring on our next guest. Absolutely. We're going to bring him on. He's been a frequent contributor uh, to uh, our our BAMS podcast in Huntsville on 97.7 Zone. That is the founder and owner. I think foremost source information information on the World Wide Web, Rodney Orr. Rodney, how are you doing tonight, sir? I'm doing well, Drew. You're kind of cutting out on me, but uh, let's let's hope that it clears up a little bit. Yeah, sorry about that, Rodney. We've been kind of working That's with some lag on You're much live, better. Dog. You're much better now. Yeah, I tell you, we got the wizard behind the curtain, Thomas Watts, working on that. Uh, he does a great job of keeping everything together and uh, – we were, we were working on it. But, Rodney, I know uh, it's been a very interesting time uh, this spring for Alabama in football, and uh, they're now through 10 practices. I know you heard a lot of buzz coming from the scrimmage this past Saturday, and it uh, looks like Alabama's putting the pieces together to, to have another very strong football team. We'll just have to once again for the third straight uh, cycle and the first, third straight spring kind of see how this quarterback situation plays out. Yeah. Everybody likes to start at that quarterback spot, and I tell you what, it's kind of like a broken record, you know. I'm getting, I think I'm getting pretty good. You probably are too, Kerry is as well, at, at, at answering these quarterback questions every year, because you know, for the last three, this makes the third straight year that we've had to deal with this, and uh, so far everything's turned out pretty well with, uh, you know, with the way things have been. Uh, so. Uh, have gone, I should say, with the first two years, obviously, with Blake Sims and then last year with Jake Coker. So uh, let's hope that this one works out uh, as well. Now, with all that said, um, people want to know where does it stand. And I mean, mean, how can you really say right now there are four guys that are competing for the job? Uh, You know, Cooper Bateman came in with the edge. You know, we did a story right when spring practice started that said, you know, we – everybody wants to count out Cooper Bateman and they want to name somebody else the kind of the starter or whatever. 
already, but uh, don't count him out. He's a guy that's got experience. He went through 15 weeks of practices last year as the backup. Now, listen, those reps that he got as the backup are extremely valuable. And not only that, the work that he gets in preparation, you know, due out throughout each week, you know, in the event he had to play, and he did start the one game against Ole Miss, you know, that, that that's huge. That's huge. So, um you know, it gave him a little leg up, so to speak. And and I think that it's helped him develop a command of the offense that the other guys just don't have right now because they don't have the kind of experience in doing the things that he's had been able to execute over the last year or so. Uh, you know, David Cornwell's apparently doing pretty well, too. Uh, you know, last year this time, there were some people that thought Cornwell might knock off uh, Coker for the job. Uh, he was doing a fantastic job at spring practice last year and just did not have quite the fall camp that uh, he didn't pick up where he left off, so to speak, and uh, fell behind. And now it looks like he's, uh, you know, having another fine spring. So we'll see you know, how he continues to progress. And then, of course, Blake Barnett's the highly heralded redshirt freshman. Uh, he has a lot of tools. We all know that. It's just a matter of experience. And, 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 you know, I know he didn't have his best scrimmage the other day, Drew and Kerry. You know, he had some three picks, I think it was, and a couple of those might have been returned for touchdowns. But I, I think that's a that's an opportunity for him to really grow from that and learn some things and develop and use that as a kind of a motivating factor. Uh, you know, maybe it was a wake-up call for him. Maybe it was something that will help him. Uh, if, if he uses it in the right right way. And then Jalen Hurts is a true freshman who has a lot of talent, apparently exhibited some real uh, running ability on Saturday in that scrimmage that got people excited, and he does have a really strong arm too. So, you know, there are four really uh, good candidates and good players as you start looking to the future. But right now, if you're asking me to make a guess as, as, as to where it would stand – and I don't want to give a pecking order, but I would just say that whoever wants to win the job, they're probably going to have to beat out Cooper Bateman. I think that's a fair statement. And let's do something a little bit different here, Rodney, just for a couple of minutes. Since Drew and I were at scrimmage this past Saturday, I just wanted to see if you had any questions for us about it. Well, uh, I'd like to say I did, Kerry, and certainly no disrespect, but <laughs> – Drew gave me a pretty detailed rundown of what he saw. So, uh, okay. you know, I, I again, I, I feel like that based on, you know, whatever uh, I've heard from various people, including Drew, um, you know, I feel like I have a pretty good feel for it. But I tell you what, if there's anything that you guys have that is input that could shed some, you know, uh, interesting light, so to speak, then uh, I'd love to hear it. Well, I can tell you this. When they when they go to the nickel, which is what Alabama plays most of the time, as you know, uh, the wheel linebacker is Rashawn Evans. But when they go to the base or to the goal line, the wheel linebacker is Sean Deon Hamilton. So those guys are interchangeable parts. I thought that was interesting. Something else I thought was interesting, Rodney, was that they ran basically what amounted to two first offensive lines. Uh, there was a clear second unit on the offensive line, which Big Shank Taylor played on with four other guys. But there were two versions of the first offensive line, and I thought that was unique. And uh, earlier in well, the broadcast, well, that is now that's tonight, the first I've heard of that. That there were two versions of the first offensive line. There were two versions, and one of them had Jonah at left tackle, and one of them had Jonah at right tackle. But when Jonah gotcha. played right tackle, Curvin played left tackle, 
And also, they used Bozeman some at guard, and they used Brandon Kennedy at right guard pretty much the whole time with the ones. But they played Lester Cox. They played Lester Cox and some at left guard and some at right tackle. So, uh, you know, Drew, Drew mentioned earlier tonight that he kind of felt like Brandon Bozeman might be the Alfred McCullough guy. And, and I think he might be amongst the interior. But on the exterior, as far as the two tackle positions, I think the Alfred McCullough guy is going to be pouring up. And he is really stepping up this spring. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. You know, Bozeman's a guy that's very versatile. He could play a lot of those spots and do some of the things like, uh, you know, the value that uh, uh, McCullough brought a few years ago, back in uh, 2011. But, um, yeah, I would say, too, Corn Curvin, the way he's emerged, you know, being able to play on both sides, that versatility. And, uh, you know, he's a, he's a he former defensive lineman, so he's very athletic and very uh, talented player. Uh in terms of what skills he has. So uh, his emergence last year on the offensive side, you know, having an opportunity to kind of start developing then, and he actually started a game against uh, Charleston Southern when Dominic Jackson was down. And now this spring, he's just continued to develop. And I think that's a great sign. That's a good, good for him too. I mean, here's a guy that uh, came from Virginia, highly regarded defensive lineman, really a lot of people didn't think he panned out very well, and, and now he's found a niche on the offensive side. He could be a you know, strong contributor. Could even start. Who knows? And I think, Rodney, there's no doubt that um, the, the defense, Rashawn Evans, uh, it performed very well at inside linebacker, which to me is very exciting because we all, have, we all saw Rashawn Evans' tape when he came out of high school, and the potential everyone thought he had. And then he started to scratch the surface near the end of last year and in spot duty during the season. And I really think if you're looking for someone on the defensive side of the ball besides Deshaun Hand, who also played very well in that national championship game, to have a breakout year and kind of make this defense a lead, I think uh, Rashawn Evans can do that. And no disrespect, Kirby Smart did a very good job at Alabama uh, for eight eight years with, with with the Tide and really nine. He was there all nine years. But he did a very good job for Coach Saban. But I really am excited to see what Jeremy Truitt can do with that young man. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, too, it's it's a matter of uh, opportunity for, you know, Rashawn Evans and the fact that they moved, decided to, you know, take a look at him inside. I assume that'll be a move that will probably stick, you know, but uh, because he's had such a good spring, it seems, and had a great scrimmage with eight tackles and a sack. And, um, you know, Jeremy Pruitt seems to really – he likes that speed. He uses a lot of those types, used a lot of those types of guys in, you know, Florida State. And then, it, you know, when he went to Georgia, he had some, some of those types. Uh, so it's going to be really interesting because I think that Jeremy Pruitt has done a, kind of proven himself in some ways to be a, uh, do pretty well against these teams that are considered spread up tempo type teams. Um, so, you know, I think he could probably, he'll be very helpful in that, uh, in that regard, and having athletes on the field like Rashawn Evans, getting them on the field more, certainly finding roles for them is, uh, you know, a key in defending those types of teams. Rod, I wanted to ask you, because of the fact that we're in the time of year where recruiting picks up a little bit because kids are coming to watch practice and scrimmage and A-Day and all, I'm starting to hear from from some sources that – 
the relationship has gotten to the point with uh, Austin Troxel of Madison, uh, future left tackle, uh, assignee for the next class, 2017. I'm starting to hear that he may be closer to committing than people think, like maybe even around a day. Are you hearing anything of that nature? And how would you care I, I about haven't heard I anything about. Yeah, I haven't heard anything about committing. Uh, the thing on Austin Troxel is this, and I, I think somebody put out a story. Somebody told me somebody put out a story about him being an Auburn lock a while back. I, ne- I never saw that at all. Uh, now. I'll say this, I thought with the depth that Alabama had at tackle and some of the guys that they had recruited, that could create an issue, you know, for some kids, you know, when they look at it and think maybe they would fit in faster somewhere else, could see that. I never thought he was a lock for Auburn, uh, though just uh, in terms of that's where he wanted to go. I never saw that at all. Uh, just from you know the people I'd talked to, and I know Drew has a pretty good relationship. He's he's talked to him several times, uh, probably more than I have for sure. But um, just the things I could pick up. So, uh, but but the fact that he might now eventually commit to Alabama, that's that that would not surprise me at all. So, uh, but and I think it would be a major pickup because he's extremely uh, extremely gifted, very very athletic kid. And just when you watch him move, I've seen some video, you know, a lot of video on him. And um, I, I know that some people that watched the Alabama camp last year when he was there, uh, the word they described him as, and you don't hear this too often about a big guy, but was fluid, very fluid, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for such a big guy. And just uh, he's got some filling out. Uh, matter of fact, uh, Drew, I think he's already put on quite a bit of weight. Uh, well, see that, what's that, he up to that, now? Three ten. Well, I was gonna say I was gonna say that Rodney, right around three ten. I talked to his dad a few weeks ago, so I'm like you. I, I read the BamaOnline.com story. I don't really know where that came from about him leaning to Auburn. I know Auburn made a push, uh, but his family. He's he's grown up an Alabama fan. I can tell you that beyond a shadow of a reasonable doubt. Um, he and he he did tear his ACL and missed the end of a football season in the playoffs. One of the big reasons Academy didn't repeat in 3A, he and Malik Miller got injured. They're say, they're giving the Auburn angle because of Malik and carry on Johnson. But, and I do think Auburn's impressed him. But in the end, Alabama, you know, has been all over him. Mario Cristobal has made him a priority. I've always felt like Alabama was in there strong. Um, and, and, again, they keep listing him at 275. They need to add weight. Since that injury, all he's done is lift weight. And uh, the last time I spoke with him, he told me he was 309. And so that was just a few weeks ago. And his, and his father said at the time, you know, uh, Malik and Carrion both committed around this time in their process. And he did tell me that as of, as of then, it didn't look like that Austin was going to do that. They had talked to Eric Cohue, the former head coach who coached him throughout his tenure at Madison Academy. Now Grant Reynolds has taken over. But he said that right now that – the discussions with Kohi were just to be patient. And I, as at that time, they were probably thinking he might decide to do it uh, in early fall. But, of course, the recruiting process can be tiresome. He may decide to go ahead and pull the trigger. Nothing would shock me. I'm going to try to check in with him uh, very soon and, and see kind of where they're at after maybe – I think he's going to attend Auburn's A-Day and then come to Alabama's. But in the end, I do think uh, with, with their relationship with Mario Cristobal overall and just and, – uh, and, uh, and then they did not sign – Craig Little, I do think Alabama has a really good shot to add Austin Troxel down the road. And, of course, also with Kendall Randolph uh, and Bob Jones, though I do think Kendall 
uh, may end up sliding inside the guard and is not opposed to that. But I think he's also a really good prospect that Alabama is very, very interested in as far as offensive line. Yeah, uh, you know, that's, that's all interesting stuff about Troxel, and and I would agree with uh, agree with it all. And uh, you know, Randolph's an outstanding prospect as well. And um, so, like I said, I, I really think that uh, you know, if he does, if Alabama does get Austin Troxel, if he eventually does commit to Alabama, obviously, I think it's a huge pickup because, like I said, he's a he's a very gifted, very athletic player, and. Uh, you know, just uh, Alabama's done extremely well in terms of recruiting on the offensive line. I think that's why you see a lot of the competition but going on this spring. But at the same time, you know, tackles like this guy are hard to come by. And I think certainly with you talking about Cam Robinson will be leaving the program after this coming year. I don't think there's, there's little doubt about that. Um, so, you know, they're, they're, they're going to need some – guys because these guys turn over real quickly you know I mean you look at a guy like Jonah Williams if if he's as good as you know what people are saying who knows he could be a three and three and out guy so it just turns over so quickly these days that you're constantly needing to uh you know keep uh you have to recruit well every year basically Ronnie I'll tell you why I was confused about Troxel's situation before Drew corrected me a few months ago. I, uh, year before last, when Austin was a sophomore, I got a chance to see him play over at Broadwood Christian. And uh, people were uh, coming up to me. Even a little kid came up to me that claimed he was like his cousin. And he said, hey, are you a reporter? And I said, yeah. He said, you see that guy out there playing tackle, that big guy? I said, yeah. He said, well, that's my cousin. I just want to tell you, he's going to Auburn. I was like, oh, okay. And I just, now, this is a year and a half ago. It doesn't mean anything, really. And then Drew talked to his parents not long after that at a basketball game. And they set the record straight. So, bottom line, I think there's a chance, uh, maybe better than 50-50 chance, that he'll commit sometime around A-Day, maybe a couple of days after A-Day. So, just wanted to throw that out there. But I want to ask you about another guy, too, Rodney, that is from the same town but a different school who had a, a brother play basketball at Alabama and who was doing great, by the way, Levi Randolph. Kendall Randolph, he seems like a guy that can play guard and tackle, and it seems like for obvious reasons Alabama has a good relationship with him. You there? Yeah. Yes, we're here, okay, Rodney. I'm sorry, I lost you. Go, uh, you were yeah. talking about well, Kendall right. Randolph. So. Right, right, right. I'm just saying about Alabama seems to be in pretty well with him, too. Yeah, I mean, you know, obviously he's, you know, the relation to uh, Levi Randolph, I think that certainly helps. And, you know, Alabama's done an extremely good job of recruiting the top players in this state. And, uh, you know, I know people talk about not recruiting the state, but they have done a good job of recruiting the top players in this state and have made them a top priority. And, you know, again, he he's a talented offensive lineman in his own right. And, you know, many years he'd probably be the number one uh, offensive lineman in the state. And I'm not saying he's not now, but when you got a guy like Austin Troxel, those are two really outstanding offensive linemen to come out of the state at the same time. And uh, so I think that that's really, uh, you know, obviously you don't have to go too far to get two of the best in the country uh, in terms of offensive linemen. So there's a lot of really talented linebackers in the state this year. 
Again, Alabama's in on some around the country as well. You know, we know that this defense is going to be an extreme priority in terms of recruiting. They've got to get more defensive linemen. They've got to do really well on the defensive line. They've got to get some more linebackers. Uh, you know, they're really pretty pretty good shape in the secondary. But, again, the constant turnover that you have, these guys coming and going. So, uh, you know, you you got to recruit well again back there. You need to get some – some top players in the secondary, but I think the defensive side of the ball, again, is going to be a huge, huge priority in this class, and Alabama needs to hit pretty pretty well in terms of, you know, uh, getting players that pan out. And, uh, you know, they've done a really good job in the past of that, and I, I assume that they will. You know, the word I hear is that, uh, you know, they feel really good about where they are right now in terms of, recruiting overall that they feel like they're ahead of where they were last year in terms of, uh, you know, maybe relationships that they've built with uh, a lot of the top players that they're recruiting. Yeah, I've heard the same thing, Rodney, and I don't think there's any question. And the amazing thing about it is, is, uh, and I'm fortunate to live here with uh, all these great players coming out, it's the city of Madison, I really believe could, could, and I don't know if that's ever that hadn't happened since maybe Hazelwood put out four at one time, but it, it would be amazing because it's at three different high schools that are all close together. But I think Alabama could end up with four signees from the city of Madison. And why I, why I say that is I think they're in strong with LeBron Ray, the defensive end from James Clemens High School, who has turned into a top thirty player nationally. And I still say, do not sleep on Monty Rice. I all think right. he's a much better player. Uh, than some have given him credit for. He's starting to explode. I think he will be a top ten player in state by the end of the cycle. And he is another huge Alabama fan. I've gotten to know him throughout this process and LeBron Ray, and I think they'd like to play together. And I wouldn't be surprised if both of those guys uh, are uh, in the, in the uh, class for the University of Alabama. And then, of course, Dylan Moses is another linebacker. There's a lot of great linebackers in the state of Alabama right now, but I think Alabama still feels like they're in – good shape uh, to even bring to pull a kid like Dylan Moses, though it's not going to be easy. Well, again, I just think it, that that one's going to go down to, you know, Dylan Moses is a guy that uh, I wouldn't count that one until it's done. Right. Uh, but, you know, I will say this, too. Even with, you know, this particular 2016 class already in the books, uh, there's still an opportunity that Alabama may bring in a player or two, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in this class still. I, I think they're still looking around to see if they can find someone that might may be able to help them. And, you know, I know that Josiah Coatney, the defensive lineman from uh, Holmes Community College in Goodman, Mississippi, is expected to make his make an official visit this weekend. And uh, – his family's coming with him. I don't. I don't know if anybody's put that out or not. But his family's expected to be coming with him, and uh, that's really big because I don't think they've gone on some of the other visits he's gone on. So, you know, if they come to the visit to Alabama, that shows a little bit of uh, a promise in terms of the interest. And uh, I know that he is very interested in Alabama. Uh, I know that Ole Miss feels very confident that they will end up with him. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, he's a guy that could come in certainly this season. You know, come in and if he graduates in May as expected and hoped, then he could, you know, come in 
go through the summer program and be a guy that could add some, you know, quality, uh, take some quality snaps on the uh, defensive line. And Alabama certainly needs that that kind of uh, depth. And just Zy Coden, he's a guy that uh, I think could really help them. Yeah, that's a great point, Rodney. And uh, I know I had heard rumors and rumblings that uh, there would be an official visitor this weekend, and you answered my question. I I thought it was going to be Josiah Coatney, and all I'll say for Ole Miss is they thought they had a lot of other guys last year too, so I wouldn't get too confident if uh, (laughs) I were the Ribs. Well, they they did, and, and, you know, I I think they've been recruiting, you know, Josiah too pretty hard. And, you know, other schools have too. Florida's been in there, Georgia – South Carolina's been been in the mix pretty strongly. I think he's already visited South Carolina a few weeks ago. Um, but mm-hmm. all of those schools have recruited him pretty hard. And, uh, you know, again, I think Alabama would really like to add him because he's a guy that could come in and, you know, get in the rotation immediately and help Alabama out in terms of, you know, a guy that could uh, – you have to be able to rotate these guys in and out. I mean, I think we saw the value of that last year. Now, you're never – going to probably see a, a line that deep and talented, uh, you know, at least you're not going to see it very often. So, mm-hmm. but but still, at the same time, I think, you know, you, you certainly want to have as much, uh, many players you can rotate in as possible. We're talking to Rodney Orr from TylerInsider.com here on the Asian Rim Hotline on BAMS Radio. Get to check out Asian Rim uh, for sushi, for Thai food, for just good old American food. Anytime you're in the Birmingham area, Drop by the shops of the Colonnade and check out Asian Rim and go to their website, AsianRim.com. We thank uh, Paige and Roy Hoffman for being such a gracious host and helping us out here on BAM Radio. And, Rodney, something else that stood out to me about Coatney is uh, I know he's playing his Juco ball, or he did play his Juco ball in Mississippi, but he's originally from Douglasville, Georgia, which is a heck of a lot closer to Tuscaloosa than it is Oxford. Yeah, and, and, you know, again, I I don't know why I'm – you know, just have the uh, by chance have some connections over there for people who have a pretty good feel of what's going on at Ole Miss, and you know they're certainly not homers for Ole Miss by any means. Which, but they have the information that uh, you know what how Ole Miss feels about the situation, and uh, you know I think Ole Miss has felt really confident that 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 if he graduates as expected in in May, and his hope then that they feel like they've got the inside track to it. And again, they may, that may not be accurate. Uh, who knows? Uh, you know, like Drew said, they missed out on some guys. They thought they had Jeffrey Simmons locked up for several months. That didn't happen. And if he hadn't gone to Mississippi State, he still might not have gone to Ole Miss. So, I mean, you know, they've missed out on some guys. They missed out on Shy Carter. They really wanted him desperately. Shaheem Carter, who, of course, signed with Alabama, the defensive back out of Kentwood, Louisiana. So, uh, they they missed on some guys that they thought they might get or had, and um, you know maybe this is we'll see what happens with Cody. Yeah, we'll see, Rodney, and and uh, speaking and kind of getting back to spring football. Um, I know uh, you, I, I felt like you, as always, Tider Insider has done a great job of covering spring and and giving a lot of uh, you know insight and thoughts to the process, and yeah, you, you know the article you put out the other day about some spring up. Was very good, and I know you and I were discussing this afterwards. Uh, after the scrimmage this past Saturday, I think one of the most in, intriguing things, and uh, and Kerry made a point of it, of course, in Curvin uh, getting time at both tackle spots, but also Anthony Averett and uh, even guys like Lawrence Hootie Jones. 
that's what I enjoy watching about the spring because so many times in the recruiting process, Alabama brings in number one class of number one class. You kind of forget about guys or write them off. But what I what what I've loved about Nick Saban's program is there's very few transfers out of the program. He never gives up on a player, and a lot of times these kids have to be patient and wait till they're juniors, but they can still have very productive careers. Well, there's one thing about Nick Saban is, and he's shown this, is he doesn't give up on players. You know, right. uh, so, uh, I know a lot of fans wrote off Corn Curvin uh, a mm-hmm. long time ago. Uh, now we see he could be a very valuable member on the offensive line. Um, I know a lot of players wrote off, a lot of people might have written off Anthony Avery. You mentioned him. And, uh, you know, here it is. He's battling possibly for a starting position. I mean, I think as long as a guy continues to work hard and, and, and try and compete and to better himself and do the things he's supposed to do, I don't think Nick Saban gives up on these guys. And I think you see a lot of them that develop later, and then they become really good players. So, um, you know, I think that's one thing about it. And I think that's a really, you know, quality um uh, uh, Saban has a philosophy is uh, because, like I said, I've seen a lot of coaches give up on guys real quickly. Um, you know, I, I be honest with you, uh, not naming names, but there was probably some people that wanted to give up on Ryan Anderson at one time right. because they didn't think he was a certain, uh, you know, fit a certain style. And now look mm-hmm. at him. So, yeah. again, I don't think that's anything against Ryan. It's just, you know, people jump to conclusions and think that this guy doesn't fit a certain mold. And therefore, you know, maybe it was a mistake. But it, uh, obviously, you know, Ryan Anderson last year had a breakout year. We really did. And finally, Rodney, before we close the show, what are you going to kind of be? What's the what are the uh, things you're going to be uh, kind of the buzz you're going to be waiting to hear for the second scrimmage of fall of a spring practice? Excuse me, 2016. I'm sorry, Drew. When it. What, what, or what are what are some of the storylines you're going to kind of be following and the buzz you're going to be uh, seeing uh, about what as far as uh, storylines for the second scrimmage? Well, I, again, I, I just think it's just uh, you know you continue to watch and see uh, who progresses, how the quarterbacks, what we what we find out about that, which will be limited as we know, but just to see mm-hmm. uh, how that goes. You know, again, the running backs. I think that's always important to to watch and see how they. You know, perform. Bo Scarborough, we really need Damian Harris to step up, or they really need Damian Harris to step up because Alabama needs it, needs that one-two punch at running back. Uh, you know, and, and the offensive linemen, they're still trying to find the best five, and, you know, they may not make those decisions this this spring. We'll see. But just seeing how some of the uh, guys uh, progress, maybe a Brandon Kennedy this week, see, see how he progresses. Uh, and some of the others. And I think some point you'll see Charles Baldwin, the junior college player, kind of take off on the offensive line. You know, defensively, again, I, I just think it's just a matter of, uh, you know, watching some of the younger players uh, that I'm interested in. I'd like to know how, how does, uh, you know, how does Makai Brown do? Uh, how mm-hmm. does Josh Frazier do? Um, you know, I feel pretty confident with um, Deshaun Hand and, Jonathan, obviously Jonathan Allen won't participate, but if this, right. and if Deshaun Hand participates, I'm not sure. But anyway, those are some of the things that that I look at and want to, would like to see how some of the younger players perform on the defensive side. 
Absolutely. Well, Rodney, we always appreciate the time. It's been a quick 30 minutes, and we thank you for being so gracious with us tonight on BAMS Radio. And we look forward to speaking with you again soon down the road uh, as spring practice winds down. But thank you for taking the time to join us tonight, and have a good, good rest of your evening. Hey, I appreciate that. You guys take care. Okay, that's Rodney Orr, everybody. And this is going to end another quick two hours. We hope you enjoyed BAMS Radio from 7 to 9 p.m. I want to thank Thomas Watts, the Wizard, for keeping us afloat there. We had a little bit of issues with the lag. We apologize for that. But Thomas, as always, gets us rolling. And I want to thank Kerry Clark, my co-host. And, of course, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the interviews uh, with uh, Avery Johnson. What an honor it was to be joined by him this morning on my show, Talking Ball. And, and also, we want to thank William Redfish Barger for that interview earlier in the week, and he'll be live with us next week. Everybody enjoy the rest of your weekend. Enjoy the Masters. I'm uh, your co-host, Drudy Armin. For Thomas Watson, Kerry Clark, roll tide and good night. This has been BAMS Radio.